Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability, which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now and into the future. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the Now and the Future podcast. My name is Joel Wett and I'm the lead education consultant for Down Syndrome Queensland. In today's episode, you're going to listen in on a conversation between myself and my education consulting team. I will be welcoming Amy Mortimer and Sean Bessinger into the discussion with myself today. Our episode title is called In Conversation with Education Consultants, Experiences from the Classroom we will be discussing and reflecting on how we became passionate, inclusive educators and how we see the benefits for both students with and without a disability and benefits for educators as well. We hope you enjoy this episode and if you would like to know more about our education services, you can contact me via email education at downsyndromeqld.org.au or you can call us 07-335-6655. We hope you enjoy this episode and we look forward to being able to record more education-based podcasts for now and the future. Thanks for joining me today, Amy and John. Welcome. Hi. Hey. So today my hope is that we can just have some conversation and professional reflection around inclusion and inclusive schooling. And for people that are listening along, you would have heard on the last DSQ Education podcast episode that my youngest child has Down syndrome. And for me personally, she's been the reason why I have a passion for inclusion. And to be fair, there's some parental selfishness in that, wanting her to be able to go through her schooling life feeling accepted and to build capacity around the staff and schools that she comes into contact with. But working alongside of you guys, I get to witness Um, the passion for inclusion in both of you and that just gives me a lot of hope um, for our students future. So today I thought we might get started um, exploring how both of you 
kind of became interested in inclusion, um, became passionate educators within this area. So, Jean, if you want to start. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Um, for me, it was a game of chance, really. Um, I moved to Australia at the end of 2015, and for the first few years of teaching here, I was working in primary setting. And I decided that I wanted to get back into the secondary setting. And a friend of mine who was working in the secondary school um, contacted me and she said, look, there's a there's a job going at my school, um, but it's an inclusion role. And, you know, at the time I said to her, look, I don't really have much experience with this. Um, and she said, you know what, just just give it a go and, and see where it leads. So I put an application in, and, and went to the interview and... I felt really reassured in that process because essentially the school said to me, look, if, you, if you're willing to learn, we're willing to teach you. Um, and obviously I was willing to learn. It was, you know, something that interested me. It sounded like an amazing opportunity to learn. So I, I took the, the job and, and very quickly realised that working with an inclusion in schools is an amazing opportunity for teachers because it offers you the chance to to work outside of your own classroom. So you get to collaborate with other teachers, you get to meet families and talk to families, you know, from a completely different perspective to what a traditional teacher would do. Um, and you get to build relationships with, with kids, you know, that goes beyond the classroom. You, you develop a great understanding of who they are. Um, and so, you know, from, from that perspective, inclusion has been really fantastic for me. It's allowed me to be creative um, and it's it's really changed the way I look at schooling and the way I look at teaching because I feel like now, having worked in this space, you know, I think teachers could benefit from being more inclusive and, and that's the message I want to share. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Thank you. So, Amy, you and I actually had the pleasure of working together previously um, in an inclusive schooling environment, but I was wondering if you would like to share the story of how this has been an area that's become important to you. Sure. Thanks, Joel. Um, I suppose my story comes back a little bit earlier. I went to what was called, I suppose, back in the 70s, an alternative school where I was in a classroom of students who were very mixed shapes, sizes, abilities, neurodiverse, neurotypical. Um, and so for me, learning with, alongside students who had disabilities um, was, inverted commas, normal and didn't see any difference. Um, and so then when I became a teacher, I landed sort of into the, inverted commas, mainstream of the stock standard state school. But again, by chance, a bit like Jan, um, I came back from maternity leave and I was looking to only do part-time. Mm -hmm. And there was one day a week that I could, I wanted to do two days, um, and one day a week was available in what was called the support unit, which we know is not an inclusive approach, but nevertheless that was the, the system and how it worked there. And I jumped at the chance and I was told that it was going to be really hard and I would find it really challenging. Was I up for it? Was I sure I wanted to work with these, these students who are only 10 in the class? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, it was probably the best five years of my teaching career working with these this class, who at the time I didn't actually look at them as if mm. they had any disabilities. They were the students who were maybe academically two years below where mm. they were meant to be on the curriculum. Um, 
there were some students who were on the autistic spectrum, some who had ADHD, but again, it didn't sort of, the labels didn't really mean anything to me. Mm. And I found that I was had a lot more freedom to do what I wanted to do with the curriculum and still teach them, obviously. It wasn't glorified babysitting whatsoever, mm. but it allowed me the freedom to draw on my passion of the arts um, and look at, say, a story like the Gruffalo um, and make all of our maths and our, and our literacy through through drama and through the arts and through HPE, and we'd go out and we'd do maths through sport mm-hmm. and I'd be out there learning from them how to play soccer because I'm hopeless at playing soccer. I hate it. Um, so, in fact, for me, it was a breath of fresh air and a, and a sense of where empowerment where I was able to work with these students and grow them with what they needed to do without the restrictions of the formulaic prescriptive siloed curriculum that I experienced in the mainstream. Um, And so because I was allowed to develop a sense of teacher agency, I could pass that on to Mm. them. And it was, as I said, I went from one day a week there to full time and then looking after the support unit and felt like I could begin to shift minds in terms of how we approached educating students who were in the support student and it certainly on my watch was not glorified inclusion. Mm. So that's how I sort of stumbled into it. But it felt I felt like I had um, come into a, a classroom where I was meant to be and I think that takes me back to the beginning of my story where I went was in a classroom full of very diverse students and that was quite acceptable and normal. So for me, I was like, ah, oh, this is where I'm meant to be. Mm. This feels good. The mainstream just feels too restricted. Um, here I can explore and use the arts and, and work with them in a very tailored way to suit their learning needs. So that's why I'm so passionate about it because I can see that we learn from students as teachers. We learn a lot from our students and I learned more in those five years from, from students than I have a, ever have since. Mm. Yeah, I always like to call them the, you know, those years where you do uh, have more students perhaps with potential diagnosis or a disability you know those those pedagogical growth years like at the time it may be hard and you you know you're always on the go and you're having to constantly analyze and strategize but in reflection they're those years that you really remember and I think you really grow as a teacher as well so thanks so much for sharing I love that you both talk about being creative because you are both very creative people Um, I'm very lucky to be able to work alongside of you I definitely don't feel like the, the artistic one of the trio um but you know that's wonderful that you that you're able to bring in you know your I guess artistic backgrounds but you know translate that into um you know creativity within the classroom and understanding that the arts is just such a powerful tool because I think that really needs to be something that we focus on moving forward with inclusion Mm. that Mm. um, it's not something either that's segregated it's you know part of being inclusive is also part of you know bringing that that creativity into the classroom so I love that uh, in our roles together as education consultants that we you know we've come from different paths and you know we've had different experiences but we move in the same direction and that it's, you know, it's easy to work with you guys. I really enjoy it because we are, you know, passionate about this. So thank you for that. I guess next I'd love to talk about the benefits of inclusion for students. So if you wanted to explore, um, as you're talking about, not just students with a disability but also students who don't have a disability, are there benefits, do you think, for Mm. inclusion? So, Amy, did you want to go first this time? Yeah, so for me, it's about the classroom learning community 
witnessing how different students learn mm. and how we each have, and it might sound a little bit corny, but, you know, our own strengths, but certainly being able for neurotypical students to see that there's a variety of ways that we need, that we prefer to learn, whether that's through watching videos or through reading or through drawing. And um, one of the examples I can think of was in the classroom at our old school, Joel, mm. we had some headphones that were there for students who just wanted to be able to cut the noise out and to be able to work silently, particularly there, maybe more so for our students who are on the spectrum and felt that that was too much noise for them, the open plan classroom. Um, but then I remember that there was a child who wasn't on the autistic spectrum who walked over and picked up some headphones and put them on and I said, hey, no, hey, John, what what's going on? Tell me why you've got the headphones on. Oh, it's just too noisy and I've realised that these are here for all of us to use. They're not just for Fred and Jackie and mm. whoever else it might be, obviously not their names. Um, and I want to use them because I actually think it would help me learn today. I've got a headache and I want to be able to cut some noise out. And I just saw, I thought, wow, this is so powerful. And the same with the fidget toys. You know, everybody mm. had an option for a fidget toy. And once the novelty of that wore off, those who needed them would use them. Those who didn't need them wouldn't wouldn't need them, but they were able to make those decisions and choices for themselves. And that self-regulation and ability to know this is how I learn, this is what I need. And again, you know, we had to wade through the novelty yeah. and the excitement of it first of all. But when we had those conversations with the students about, well, you don't need a house chair. Yeah. And you're, it's not a play, it's not a toy. Yeah. It's there for you to use if and when you need it. And part of your capacity to self-regulate is to decide whether or not you need it to improve your learning and you don't. And that's a decision. So, again, we are giving agency to these students mm -hmm. to make choices that's best for them. Now, don't think if we have a classroom environment with all of those inclusive techniques and skills and tools, we would be able to show students that they wouldn't be able to experience it for themselves. So I, I see the power behind it for all students mm. to have access and they get to choose what they need when they need it and, mm. and the conversations that go with that is so important. Yeah. Um, so we do say, you know, there is a bouncy ball for you to sit on if you like. But it's not working for you. Can you see that? It's not working for your posture. Mm -hmm. We need to use it correctly. You're using it as a toy, so we now need to make some more sensible choices. Um, and after a while, I know a lot of work from the teachers and the teachers' aides, that inclusive environment and those tools were used appropriately. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was really powerful for students in terms of the process of their learning. It wasn't all geared towards the end product. You know, It wasn't about their assignment, what mark they got. It wasn't about how many words they got right in their spelling test that we're actually focusing a lot more on the process of learning and what makes you a good learner in any environment. Yeah. That was what was powerful. Thank you. I always think of that, you know, fairies and everyone getting the same thing. It's getting what learners need, you know, Absolutely. to learn. And and I think as, you know, we talk about as, even as adults how we learn and we learn differently from one another, it's so important to learn that authentically as a young child to know that everybody you know, receives information differently and processes things differently. And so learning is going to look different for every person. So, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of, you know, when, when I contemplated, you know, the benefits for students and, and teachers alike when it comes to 
inclusive education, I was thinking about choice as well, which is, mm. you know, I think a great um, follow-on from Amy's point. But I think when you're planning, you know, for a teacher from the onset, knowing your students is essential. So, you know, you really need to go through the documents that are available when it comes to getting to know your students and, and figuring out what it is exactly that makes them tick. And looking at it from a strengths perspective as well, mm. um, you know, not looking at, at teaching students from a deficit model. We look at, okay, what can they do, what they're really good at, and what might they choose? Um, and so I think that, um, you know, it allows you in the planning phase to be a little bit more creative around the choices that you are offering to students um, and, and not, you know, potentially giving students access to information in silos or subjects. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think the Australian curriculum has been designed in a way that it is really flexible and that it should be used across multiple subjects to allow students to focus on their strengths and to learn through discovery um, and to use the strengths that they have and not just, you know, the things that they're not really good at or the things that they might struggle with. Um, and I think that makes you a better teacher. I think, you know, planning for diversity from the onset is an incredible learning experience for everybody, for the kids in the class when they see, hey, you know what, that kid is actually really good at this and I never thought that they had those sort of skills and I'm really enjoying that. So definitely with building on that, John, I think that it's important to consider planning um, in a very inclusive way so that differentiation isn't an add-on. It's mm. part of what we do when we plan. So I know that in the past I might have encouraged or, or requested almost that there be a differentiation column in the planning, but that wasn't so much for it to be an add-on, but instead to be make sure that it was in there all the time. For some, I think that that additional column felt a bit onerous at the beginning because they felt that it was another consideration to make but after a while it became embedded into their general planning and their when they were writing about their learning experiences so I suppose it was a, initially there as a must and then it became a prompt and then it just became a checklist to make sure that student that teachers were planning um, when we worked at the school where they were doing collaborative planning so that they knew that there was a variety of process content product and environment and that wasn't just for the students who were on ICPs or LPs, but for every student. Mm. Um, and it didn't have to be in every individual student, but they needed to make sure that there were options, that there were choices, that they were catering to a diverse range of students' needs, learning needs, social and emotional needs as well. Um, and yes, initially I think that took more time because we were asking them to think about different levels of students' learning. But once that became a lot more familiar with them and they got to know their students a little bit more, then that planning just became very natural. Yeah, it becomes part of their norm, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, you know, I guess what you're really touching on here is that universal design for learning, like looking universally at the whole picture before you even begin designing what, That's you know, right. students are going to learn about. And when you're always thinking about, you know, the minority and the wider parts you know, not just all the kids that sit in the middle, mm. that helps to, I believe, build a more inclusive mindset for educators mm -hmm. so that, you know, they become more inclusive, they think more inclusively. And we always, you know, have that saying that we, we don't do inclusion, you know, we, we are inclusive. So even though you probably had to scaffold teachers back 
through that mm. process of learning about differentiation and embedding it, it then becomes ingrained not only in their planning but then the way that they're thinking and therefore then, you know, what they believe about inclusion as well. So we've kind of shifted into <laughs> teachers, haven't we? Um, yeah. I guess my thoughts as far as um, thinking about students and, you know, how inclusion is beneficial for students with a disability. Mm. I have been, you know, really honoured to be able to see that from a parental perspective as well, that um, my child expects to be included. She doesn't see herself as, you know, um, different where she needs to be somewhere else. She understands that there are some things that, you know, she understands that she has a diagnosis, but she expects that she will be, you know, part of the group and she has a, a definite sense of belonging and so that's you know that's she's not off going off to special life so she's mm-hmm. not going off to be segregated somewhere so that's really important for me and it's been wonderful to witness her peer group as she's moved through school to just see that natural empathy and they're not soft skills are they they're like such they're hard <laughs> yeah they're like the you know vital skills of being able to build compassionate and empathetic people in a community I do think I've seen students playing together very well in the playground um, and it's not a forced or we mm. have to include this student because they have Down syndrome or because they are on the autistic spectrum. Mm. It's, they're part of the class. Those students don't see the other student as anything different mm. and it certainly reminded me of my own schooling where we just didn't know who was who. It didn't really matter and there's been a very natural play um, and I think children do learn a lot through through play and it's very equal footing, equal ground. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot in schools that that are inclusive um, and there's the expectation that everybody's, you know, is yeah. equal, there's, equity, mm. there's yeah. equity there. Yeah. And that, that certainly I've seen that play out from the classroom into the playground yeah. in a very authentic way. Mm. And we often talk about, you know, where we're going in and consulting around you know, social inclusion and yeah. to be thinking, you know, it's not just everything that's happening within the classroom but what's happening outside of the classroom and, mm. you know, how is the student with a disability um, accessing different areas of the playground, you know, interacting with peers and, yeah. yeah, and, you know, I think as teachers we think about some of the most pivotal and amazing learning experiences happen <laughs> on the go or something that you didn't plan for. And I think that's why play is so important because there's such, you know, changes can happen in those authentic ways. Such, you yeah, know, being but out in the we're playground. also helping those um, neurotypical students work effectively in society. So taking yes. them outside the walls of the school, whether it be classroom or playground and into the community so that when they're in shopping centre and they see someone with a disability, they don't do the stare and the jaw drop. That mm. for them, that's oh, that's just another person doing going about their daily work. And I mm. think that's really that exposure is really important to develop their civics and their civil citizenship in in, in the world that we want them yeah. to be in a lot more understanding world. I also think that you know um, it's not always easy, um, you know, working in in a school. And I think you know with with such a vast amount of personalities. Um, and, and different strength and things. There are sometimes uh, situations or problems that, that crop up um, that need to be solved. And it's, it's, a, it's a really good experience for students to problem solve on their own. Mm. Um, we need to create students that are able to problem solve mm. uh, and to encounter situations that maybe, you know, they're not used to or potentially um, that might 
you know, expose them to something that, you know, they, they hadn't expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's good for teachers as well to understand that not everything is within your control yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that sometimes you have to be, you know, I guess a little bit more open-minded, accepting and be willing to think in your feet um, mm-hmm. and that every solution is not always obvious yeah. and that you need to work it through and you're not always going to find the right solution straight away. It could take some time, but there's there's learning that's done through that. Um, and, and that, you know... students, kids, even teachers will take on through many situations in their life uh, Mm -hmm. moving forward. Um, So inclusion, not always easy, um, but definitely worth it. Um, And and I think the outcomes speak for themselves. Yeah. And I always feel that our schools, and I do say this a lot when we present to schools, that our schools should reflect their community. You know, we should see that same natural diversity of people within a school that we do when, you, when you're when you out at the shopping centre, when you're oh. going for a walk. It shouldn't be, oh. like you say, Amy, a, a child suddenly coming across a person with a disability because their school doesn't have oh. any people with a disability yeah. in it. And I had read, I know it was a little while ago, a, statistics, a statistic that said, you know, 65% of people are uncomfortable around someone with a disability. And I'm hoping that's an old statistic, but that's something that we want to change through inclusion, you know, the more we are together and we work together and, like you say, John, we problem-solve together, um, you know, we're really hoping, I guess, that this next generation of, of kids coming through our schools are more inclusive just by being given those opportunities to be inclusive. I think we've come a really far way mm. um, and I think this this new generation of kids is definitely more inclusive. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that speaks for itself and I think that's really encouraging. Mm. Um, and it's exciting for, I guess, education. Yeah. So we've had a look at, I guess, inclusion, you know, your your journey into inclusion. We've discussed, you know, the benefits that we've seen for students with and without a disability. So what about professionally? As an educator, let's look at how inclusion has benefited you. What sorts of things have you discovered or found um, in yourself as a professional by working in an inclusive school? Uh, like I said uh, earlier, I think, you know, moving into the space, and Amy, Amy um, touched on this point as well, it gives you a sense of, you know, a little bit more freedom mm. to be creative uh, and to think outside the box. You, you don't feel as constrained by, you know, a siloed traditional model of teaching or pedagogy. You kind of, you feel like you've got a bit of free license and that makes things fun. And I think, you know, the kids really... Um, take a lot from that and and I think it brings out the strength in the teacher, it brings out the strength in the kids. Um, And and for me that's been, you know, probably one of the best things is because I I now can't really think about being just, you know, in a classroom all the time. I want to be amongst many classrooms and amongst many kids and talking to families and teachers and working collaboratively with people. Mm. Um, I want that sense of freedom and inclusive education has given it to me. You talked before, Jeanne, about it being hard work. It is hard work. Teaching is a hard work, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. You know, and I think that if you have permission from the heads of department or curriculum or whoever they may be to give you a little bit of free licence to bring that joy to the classroom um, and empower you as a teacher to trust yourself and the, and the processes and have some sense of agency, we will let that trickle down, distill down to our students who will 
definitely pick up on that vibe um, and feel a little bit more confident in themselves as well. The hard part as a teacher with inclusion is when you don't get that level of support, when you don't get that time to collaborate, or if you don't know what you don't know, how mm-hmm. do you, who do you go to to help you scaffold those? And there's no magic wand, there's no one-size-fits-all, so it's really knowing your students, it's really knowing um, how, how they learn, but it teaches you so much about yourself as well, you know, that there are issues you come across and you don't know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as teachers we always feel like we have to fix yeah. things <laughs> and we have to fix them fast and we don't. You know, we're human as well. We need to be able to look at the different avenues, the different perspectives, the different sides of the story or what I refer to as what happened further upstream to mm-hmm. cause this in order to prevent the fire rather than constantly putting it out. So I think that that requires time and it requires collaboration and our leaders in schools need to make time for that to happen. And there is the research that shows if we give teachers time to collaborate and work with the key stakeholders, the impact on our learners is far greater. So I think as a a teacher and as someone who has been, you know, um, head of curriculum, teaching, learning, however you want to do it, it's about providing choices and shifting other teachers' mindsets as to what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Mm. Um, Can I do this? Can I tweak that assessment piece so that I am just measuring content here? So does it really matter whether student X, but not using our de-identifying words, gives that presentation orally or and student Y presents it um, visually and student Z presents it in a written form? No, it doesn't matter because you're Mm. not actually measuring their capacity to deliver it, you're measuring the content that they provide. And that's a simple tweak, but I even think then in classrooms, teachers are too scared to even ask, is it okay if I do this? So we have to think, what is our learning intention? What is the purpose behind this? And if it is to measure content, then there's flexibility in how it's done. If it is to measure how well they write, then okay, you have some refining to do in terms Mm -hmm. of how you create that assessment and make it um, differentiate the product so that maybe... The student who doesn't write so well only writes two sentences and that's what they need to be able to do. So there are always ways, I believe, to look at what it is you're being asked to do and think of it outside the box. Maybe that's where my creative brain comes in (laughs) because I can look at it from a different perspective. But that permission and that time and that common language in schools um, is, is vital for success here. And I'll also add that risk-taking, you know, that yeah. I, we often talk about being that risk-taking, mistake-making kind of school that, you know, you do have to take risks as a teacher um, and particularly when you're, you know, in an inclusive environment. Um, but who probably would have thought that the words, you know, joy and fun and creativity are something that you'd think of with inclusion. You know, I think automatically inclusion is quite emotive and mm. like you're saying, it, it forces you to actually have a look at yourself and what, mm. you know, how you perceive, you know, disability and abilities. And, um, but yeah, I think permission and, and helps, you know, to build that school culture and you've got to have that from the top down. Absolutely. Um, I used to love when I was head of inclusion, teachers who were beginning to take that risk and I, you know, give them permission, off you go, you know, try this, to see them develop as a teacher over the year, to come back yeah. and those tricky students that they had or what they perceived was tricky and I'm not sure how to do this, that's okay, let's let's map this out, let's, you know, think of a few different ways. To see them really grow and flourish and gain confidence as well was really wonderful for, for my role. Yeah. One of the things that I always found worked really well 
um, in terms of developing inclusive practice at a school is inviting the teacher to be part of the journey yeah. for that student mm-hmm. um, or for many students. Um, you know, inviting them to support meetings with their parents or whatever specialists, mm-hmm. you know, come in that day. Let them be part of the discussion. You know, show them that it's a it's a team effort, it's collaborative. Um, but then also inviting the students to those meetings mm-hmm. as well. Giving yeah. the students some voice um, is a game changer, yeah. particularly if you work in a secondary environment where you have students who are able to articulate, you know, what makes them tick. Just giving them that voice makes them feel heard and understood and it breaks down barriers that may have existed between the student and their teachers. But again, as Amy said, schools have to be able to, you know, release teachers to be part of that mm. um, and and to give inclusion teams, I guess, the opportunities to to collaborate with teachers yeah. and families and students. And um, build those relationships. So really, you know, when, when we think about a lot of what we're talking about, it, it's that capacity or that space to build those quality relationships with our peers, colleagues and, you know, the parents and, of course, the students as well to make them feel valued, that they're part of this learning process. Um, and I just don't think that we as a system of schools give enough time for that, yet everything comes down to that community of practice. And if you've got a school where you not necessarily have an inclusion unit or an inclusion team, everyone's part of that inclusion team. Yeah. It's a whole school based, whole school, based, approach. Whole school yeah. approach, the strength-based approach, you know, that we're looking at how we can support each other and that breaks away from that, what we were talking before, Jean, about that silo timetabling, which mm. I know occurs in high schools and it needs to. But does it always, you know, where mm. is that flexibility between faculties to discuss collaboration yeah. or integration that would actually benefit everybody, you know, in that universal design of learning model? Hey, how about the Haas teachers look at the English teachers and combine some of mm. those? They're not talking about the senior years of schooling. They yeah. have their own kettle of fish. We're <laughs> talking about, you know, the, the primary all the way through to that middle school. They're, I've seen it happening yeah. in K-12 schools. I and think when you have I've, seen it, hey, when you've yeah. seen something happen or people say, oh, I can't work like that, and I'm like, but I have seen it. I've seen, seen it work. work. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of my all-time gurus um, uh, said to me that inclusion is not a department, yeah. um, you know, and I just think that is just an incredibly profound statement. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not a department. And sometimes that's the way it's perceived at schools right. is that there's a small SWAT team of people yeah. who are out there to solve all the world's problems. Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's it, it's it's not a group of people. It's an it's a way of working. Yeah, and, a way and it's of something being that a, well, a school yeah. adopts wholeheartedly and holistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's done that way and it's, yeah, yeah. you know, anything's possible. Yeah, inclusion is yeah. life. Inclusion it is, it is, is life. Yeah, yeah, it's a mindset. Mm. I think it's very easy to get uh, tripped up on the barriers, isn't it? Automatically, you know, we can hear words like time and support and resources and, like you were saying before, Jean, the deficit model. And so it's, you know, sometimes when we go into schools, it's about shifting mm-hmm. those those barriers and those negative perceptions of what a barrier might be. So I'm thinking in the pipeline as we're talking that perhaps maybe our next time that we come together for our next podcast might be thinking and perhaps talking and reflecting on some of the barriers that we face as educators and also what students may face as a barrier in inclusion. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Joel. Thanks. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 
At the Now and the Future podcast, we would love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information to the community. If you have a question, would like any more information on any of our episodes, or have suggestions for future episodes, simply send us an email at engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. That's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au and we will do our best to provide you with the information required in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now and the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for and empower people with Down syndrome, both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.au slash QRD. Down syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.